0: Dear broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.
1: I was like, why why is this not a public conversation? Why why mm-hmm. am I going through this alone and you're going through this alone? And it's like taking someone to actually have to say something in a a time of desperation seeking guidance for us to have these conversations that doesn't make sense to me
0: hello everybody and welcome to the pod broads this is a podcast about women in podcasting and i'm your host Alexandra alexandra cole Welcome back my broadies to episode two of season two. I want to thank everyone who has tuned in thus far. If you missed last week's episode, I highly suggest going back to listen. I speak with Nicole Perkins, host of This Is Good For You and the now retired Thirst Aid Kit, plus the author of the recently published memoir, Sometimes I Trip On How Happy We Could Be. I was reflecting on that episode this past week because I had done all this work for the season 2 launch and was not resting very much, which sometimes you just have to do to get shit done and to make things happen, and I was desperately awaiting watching the new season of Sex Education. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you may have already seen this. I put a lot of musings and jokes and podcast promo tips, etc. on there if you aren't following me at Padreland already. But I shared this tweet about how my mindset this past Saturday, when I got to be in full marathon mode, initially went to, oh, I earned this. I earned this lazy TV-filled day because I had worked my ass off that week. And right as I fell into that way of thinking, I heard Nicole's voice in my head from that conversation Remind me to take the guilty out of pleasure and to get rid of this idea that I had to earn this pleasurable day and this rest and this enjoyment. And honestly, it made my full day with sex education that much better. So if you were just coming in on this episode, I highly recommend going back to check out that first one with Nicole after you listen to this one. It dropped on September 22nd, 2021, in case you're looking at the backlog, And yeah, I hope you go back and enjoy it because it is truly a necessary listen. Now, for today's episode, I want to start off with something a bit different. It's a brief story and then two quotes. Back on July 30th, 2019, over two years ago now, which is wild. I published a recommendation for this podcast called In Progress on my website, podgerland.com, in this section called The Tuesday Pod, where I used to recommend a woman-hosted podcast episode each week. And In Progress is a part of Girlboss Radio, and I named the post When Purpose Outweighs Fear because I was reflecting on what the host, award-winning journalist and producer Noor Tagori, was talking about with her guest writer and spiritual practitioner Layla Delia. I was thinking about comparison and how one's purpose impacts it. And I wrote down these two quotes from the episode. The first one says, Everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. And the second one, which is still a dear favorite of mine, says, There is room for you. There is always room for you. These were both said by Noor, and they shifted something in me when I heard them then. And they continue to be great reminders when I look back to them now. During that first listen, I was just starting to work through this time in my life where I was pursuing writing, my, my creative endeavors, podcasting, and this whole quote-unquote non-linear career path. And I was terrified and worried that my work and perspective would not be enough and not enough people would connect to it and that there wasn't going to be room for me. And, and my mindset was so limited. But like Nor says, there's always room for you. And I've really taken that into everything I do now. And this past year has shown me just how much living within an abundance mindset can change things. There is room for all of us, especially as women, especially as creators. And today you're going to hear my conversation with Noor, who is also known from her documentary and subsequent podcast series, Sold in America, Inside Our Nation's Sex Trade, which also received a 2019 Gracie's Award for Best Investigative Series. We talk about that time in her life when she was working on In Progress, which is so freaking full circle, it is wild. We also talk about the Met Gala and lack of hijab and Muslim women representation, which Noor wrote about recently for The Cut in a piece titled Where Were the Hijabs on the Met Gala Red Carpet? She shares with me her obsession with Rick and Morty, her inner child work, and on healing past traumas. We dig into her podcast titled Podcast Noor and its evolution, and how she thinks differently about the word download than probably any other podcaster I know. Toward the end, Noor explains her current work with an upcoming documentary series and podcast, and how she is asking folks who have witnessed firsthand the consequences of inaccurate representation of Muslim and Arab communities to share with this new project through a form on nortiglory.com slash representation, which I'll include in the show notes. And before we officially jump in, I also want to briefly point out that there is a moment that I reference another podcast during our conversation and the guest's name, and I have a slight correction. You'll hear me say Caitlin Van Horn, but her name is actually Kate Van Horn. Okay, so this conversation is truly a treat, and I'm honored to have you listening in with us today. Noor, I'm super stoked that you're here today, um, and I'll tell you why in a second, but at first I just want to hear how you're doing. How is how's today for you? Mm, um,
1: well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited yeah. to be here. I have had an interesting um, last few weeks, and today mm-hmm. has been more like it's just been in, in, it's, it's consistently been intense. Yesterday, Um a Vanity Fair interview that I did dropped. And it was like the most honest thing that I like really done and, and an interview that I'm actually really proud of because it properly represented the conversation, which is like mm-hmm. the first time that's happened. And yeah. then yesterday was also the Met Gala, Met Monday. And, mm-hmm. um, I, and it, the theme was in America. And I really just couldn't I was so disappointed and I couldn't shake it because, you know, the Met's been going on for over 70 years and there's never been a Muslim woman in a hijab invited to the Met or attending the Met. And Mm. this is like the most iconic fashion event of the year. And I just couldn't shake that this, it was held two days after 9-11, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, where Mm. most of the stories and the conversations around this anniversary did not include Muslim voices. And then you host this, the most iconic event of the industry of the, in the world of the year. And it's Mm -hmm. two days after 9-11 and it's about being American. And there are no Muslim designers that are showcased in the exhibit. And there are no um, Muslim women who wear the hijab attending the event. And I'm, and it's just like this you know we we've constantly been sharing the things on our hearts and the and our voices and what we have to say, and it just falls on turned backs, and that's really disappointing,
0: yeah, yeah, I truthfully don't know much about the Met Gala. I feel like lately on like Twitter in the last twenty four hours I've been seeing a few more people post about it um and kind of what the purpose is of it, but have you seen many other people posting about that perspective or do you feel like you've kind of been the only one just I've kind of thinking s- and processing? With I that?
1: personally have never seen anyone um, post about that. I think that the Met Gala is really exciting. I've been posting about this every single first Monday of May, which is when it's hosted um, in, ten, in the last 10 years, basically since I've had a Twitter every single because I've watched the Met Gala red carpet since I was young, like, I've always really loved, loved, loved the intersection of fashion and art um, Mm -hmm. done thematically, this one day of the year. And every single year, I used to be like, Oh, I hope this year I get to see we get to see a hijab on the Mm runner. Oh, I hope and it was always like this aspirational thing. And now it's just like such resentment, because like, you had the opportunity every single year, and there are so many Muslim women in, who wear the hijab who would have been perfect to attend the event. I mean, not that the not that anybody actually knows what the qualifications are for. That's part of the allure. It's like you, you, it's it's invite based only, and of course, you know, there's exclusivity in the price if you if you do get the invite, and then um, no one actually knows, and so that's why it's such a big honor when you do get the invite. And, mm-hmm. you know, this year I really thought that there was going to be some, there was going to be some representation, especially because the co-chairs were, it was like the young, quote, young and quote diverse co-chairs, mm-hmm. the youngest co-chairs of the year. And we're talking about like these gen kids who are making these cultural impacts and you still can't, you still can't acknowledge the glaring gap of representation there, but you have us in your front rows and in your campaigns and when it's the most convenient marketing, but when it comes to like really yeah. showing up in in a way that, you know, it's obviously it's a party. It's not about the party itself. It's about the fact that you're showing us time and time again, that the, the most important decisions that you make will still not include us. And, um, you know, there's, there's a model named dog Abdi who, has been, has graced, you know, so many of the Vogue issues in the last couple of years, including the September issue, who Anna Wintour mm-hmm. herself has mentioned um, as a model to watch out for and has talked about how al has opened doors for women, for Muslim women. And I'm like, this is like one of your favorites. This is somebody that you mm-hmm. actually really enjoy. What about her? Yeah. You know, we had a couple of Congresswomen who were there yesterday. What about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar? You know, like there's there's even a fashion editor of the Scandinavian Vogue who is a hijab wearing woman. Like, what about her? Like somebody within your family. And just to see everyone celebrate it, you know, obviously it's a Mm -hmm. fun, impactful night. But just to see everybody celebrate it and constantly drop the term diversity and pretend to be inclusive and know that. I mean, there was I don't know if this was the first time, but. Some of what I saw on the internet said that, so that would need to be confirmed, but there was Mm -hmm. an indigenous woman who's a model who attended Mm -hmm. yesterday and not many people were talking about it at all. And I kept seeing like when it was very specific people that I saw actually share about it. And the theme was America. It was in America and the history of America. And like, we're not inviting more people, the indigenous community. It just... It's like, what are the stories we're actually saying we're telling people about themselves? And um, I think that those stories are very clear.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing all that. I think it's definitely not been in the discourse that I've been seeing on, on Twitter. And so that is a big missing piece that I think a lot of people need to actually pay attention to yeah. um, and educate themselves on. So I normally, uh, start off with asking you, you as the guest, uh, who you are inside of your work and then who you are outside of your work, because while those two pieces can be so intersected as Mm -hmm. they are, there's also things that I know we try and keep separate about our identities in our workspace and our personal space. So I'd love to hear what your answer is to that. Yeah.
1: Well, my work like inside of work and outside of work is incredibly blurred lines for sure. Because what I do for my I'm so lucky that the work that I do is work that like is just my mindset. It's how I think it's how I see the world. And then I, I get to like, heal as a part of my work. That is literally Mm -hmm. what it is. It's like rewriting my own stories and following my curiosity and talking to strangers and and doing this on so many different platforms, whether it be writing or producing a documentary or podcasting, or just walking up to strangers. Um, And I feel very lucky to have that. It's also how you end up burning out without realizing it. It's like a very slow burn because you're, because you Mm -hmm. think, you know, I don't actually, like, this is not work. This is what I would, I would do this for free. And so With that regard, I'm a storyteller and a curious person who just is choosing every day these days to remain open to what life has to offer and what the world presents itself as. And on the inside part, the thing that keeps popping into my mind is like, I am a kid. I am a kid Mm -hmm. who really loves to watch cartoons. Like yesterday when I was watching a cartoon, I thought to myself, if somebody were to ask me what's something people don't really know about you, this would definitely be it. Like I watch animation every single day and I think that that says a lot about who I am on the inside because I'm somebody who really loves to do the things that make me feel good. I love to Mm -hmm. take baths and go on hikes and paint and dance really, really, really hard and play with my cat. And uh go on adventures and all of those things I get to sprinkle in with the work that I do somehow. And they mm-hmm. all feed into it. Like if I'm spending time decompressing, watching an animation at night, it's because I know that I would, like this is how I'm gonna get pumped to do the work that I have to do tomorrow. Or if I'm like taking a pause and doing a spin or a cycle break or a dance break, like those are the things that are going to contribute to the work that I'm doing. So it's very exciting to have perspective where it just is harmony it's in and out in Mm -hmm. and out in and out
0: (laughs) um you totally answered one of my ending rapid fire questions just now because uh like what people wouldn't know right if they weren't just like like off screen and off the work that you do and it was a question that came up because one of the episodes that I listened to recently of podcast Noir is the one with Jenna Wortham Mm -hmm. who I also love Mm -hmm. um but something you two were talking about in that interview was about it was like kind of sadness that there were these pieces of yourself that you felt like you couldn't put on your Instagram page or in your public presenting Mm, yeah you know like social media spaces and so you know that was a question I wanted to ask because I was like what would those pieces be that we'd either be surprised about or that you kind of wish you could bring in more and I love finding out that animation is one of your yeah totally I mean my
1: I tell (laughs) every person on my team that everyone should be thinking about getting me a voiceover animation gig. Like just, it it can be one time in my life for the rest of my life, but I want to do it so bad. And I remember um, like Bodak Horseman Mm -hmm. had who one of my friends wrote on and she's a Muslim woman. And um, it, they had like this one character who had a hijab on that would just Mm -hmm. like be in the background looking straight into the Mm -hmm. camera, but never had a line. Like never said any words, which now that I think about it kind of makes me sad because it's like you knew enough to draw the representation in there, the token token version of that, um, but not enough to give her words. And that is pretty uh, telling of a lot of the representation that Muslim women go through when it comes to film and television anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And at the same time, I really wanted to give her a voice. I just wanted to give her, you know. I've never want to get like there's no such thing as the voiceless, but this one, this woman was voiceless. She literally had no voice in the show, and I was like, "Let me do it." Um, And then the show ended and ended beautifully, (laughs) but which is fine. But it's been on my mind ever since then. I was like, "I have why I have to do this."
0: What what would be the animation role in your mind that you'd be like most excited? Like, what kind of character would you be most excited to voice if you could pick? Uh,
1: I. Every time I think about it, I think about voicing someone who, like, is more representative of myself. So I don't know if I would, like, want to play myself in it. But but the Mm. dream animation to do that for would be Rick and Morty. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. would just be so, 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 so iconic. And one time I actually tweeted that. That was a dream (sighs) of mine. And uh, and then somebody tweeted that show would never have, like, a hijabi on there or something like that. And then mm. Justin Rowland responded and said, who's who's the co-creator, and voices both Rick and Morty said, the only people that we wouldn't have on the show are assholes or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's great. And um, I'm like Twitter friendly with one of the writers. And I haven't asked or said anything, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm like such a big fan, such a big fan. And that would be my dream. I would just hope that uh, if I were to do that, it wouldn't be like. Like, I would be curious to know what kind of role that they would write for a character that mm. I would... It's just because the show is a little wild. It's a little wild. So, but that's, that's like, that's on the list.
0: Yeah. I have to say I'm not super familiar with the show besides the name and whatever that, like, dance TikTok sound is that uses the title of it. So now, I'm, now oh, I am really? to really? it out. I don't know yeah. what the
1: TikTok for Rick and Morty it's is. It's like...
0: I don't know, what it, but it's like, it's like Rick and Morty, Rick and oh, Morty. Like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like that, but I don't know what, I don't really, cool. I never really understood, but
1: yeah, it's, it's definitely, it definitely has like a very specific following in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really smart, heady, like raunchy, dark comedy. I love it. It's it's amazing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so another Another piece that you brought up when you were talking about just like doing things like that you're a kid and things like that. And you talk a lot about healing, too. And this is totally the kind of shit that I'm just like super into is that piece of healing your inner child. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, is that is that like language that has been a part of your healing process or is that something that? Yeah, yeah, okay, I've been talking okay. about <laughs>
1: healing my inner child for a while. That mm-hmm. is not only language. it's like a key, 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 key factor in the process for me. Is I'm always trying to connect with her. Like my phone screen saver was her, and I would always just meditate on her if I was trying mm-hmm. to figure something out, or if I was stuck in a problem, or if I reacted. So there's like the saying, if the re- like if your reaction is hysteric, it's historic. And so if mm-hmm. I feel so badly hurt, and my reaction is like. Almost feels uncontrollable and I'm so upset then I re- then I go back to her and I'm like okay where is this hurt coming from this obviously it's not this it's coming from something that's happened and I've done EMDR therapy mm-hmm. where you're you know you're going into your memories basically and rewriting them and that involves a lot of spending time with those different versions of your inner child actually just I just watched this short animation on Disney plus called 20 something. And it was less than 10 mm. minutes long. It was probably like a little over five minutes long. And it was the, it was so beautifully done. And I knew, I mean, the animation looked so beautiful, so I knew it was going to be amazing. And the story was literally this, this woman turning 21 and she's at a club and she's wearing this trench coat, but the trench coat is her 10 year old self her 16 year old self and her one year old self and they're like Mm. pretending to be adults and all of these terrible things are happening and she's like um she's crying like she's upset and it's her inner child and her different ages are battling with each other and she comes Mm. back to herself and then she comes out as her 21 year old self and i'm like that is like i literally teared up and yeah and that is that is all of us that we are all walking around with these different versions, different ages of ourselves, and there's also a really great book called "What Happened to You" by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry that just recently came out on uh trauma and resilience and a lot mm-hmm. it's like a lot of it is rooted in inner child work
0: yeah i I remember the first time I heard that phrasing was actually after I had started doing like some form of therapy to deal with like past sexual trauma that I had. And it was listening to, uh, oh my goodness, her name is going to escape me right now. But How We'll Live is the name of the podcast. And it was interviewing, uh, I think her name is Caitlin Van Horn, but hopefully I didn't mix that up with someone else's name. But she was talking about inner child work specifically in like unpacking sexual trauma as a child. And that was like, I was like, oh, like something just kind of went off in my brain. And, that's something that I feel like I've brought into like therapy sessions that I've had, even though my therapist maybe wasn't the one to bring it up. Mm. Um, But I really like the idea of that short. And now I want to go watch it of the different ages because, you know, something that I'm dealing with in my experience and that we all deal with is that compounded trauma and not even just the compounded trauma of what's happened in your life, but what's happened in the generations of your family Mm -hmm. before. And yeah, I I've always loved that piece of your work because in my in my experience of the work that I've seen you do and the work that I've kind of taken in that you've put out into the world, my first introduction to you was actually when you hosted In Progress with Girlboss um radio and mm-hmm. that was Oh one wow. of those like yeah. So that was one of those like integral like podcasts in my experience where I heard it at a time when I was like, that's so good want- to hear.
1: Wow. Thank you. For really? That. Yeah. Oh,
0: good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had like listened to that podcast when I was in this uh, space of like, okay, I've been like teaching, writing for so many years, but I feel like I want to go off and like kind of do my own creative stuff or just like I was in a mode where I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do with my life, but I feel like I do know what I want to do, but I'm feeling really scared to do it. And mm-hmm. so it was that perfect like melding of like practical advice, but also the emotional piece that is so important. And at the time, I felt like I didn't always get, especially from like male-hosted stuff. Like I just felt like it was just not clicking for me. Like they weren't speaking to that part.
1: I would be curious to know what the percentage of male-hosted podcasts like versus women and non-binary people is because it just seemed like for for a period of time it really just seemed like it was all male hosted podcasts
0: oh yeah i mean even still i don't know if the number has changed since i've last looked but with like podcasts that are on major networks like it's only like a third of women and then uh, then you look at that breakdown and it's like only like 19 percent is like black women and it's like majority white women and so it's like it's very much a deficit for sure still um in terms of hosting and that's not even like getting to the like behind the scenes stuff and positions there right so yeah and and I guess I was probably listening to that around like 2018 or something because I started the blog that I did and like wrote about it I think in 2019 but yeah I just I always loved that and that's what like got me into your work and like I always appreciated the kind of like personal like emotional piece that was brought into the practical bits of it and yeah you're welcome um i mean thank you i think that that was such a formative i believe 10 episodes right formative 10 episodes and it made me wonder too because you know it's it's called in progress and i remember at the time when i was listening to it i was like you know, she's on this dope podcast. Like, she's got her shit together and her work life and stuff like that. Oh and gosh. I'm like, what was going on behind the scenes of in like how in progress were you at that? Oh, po- in wow, progress were you at that point? And like, how did it? How did it? Um, where does it fall in like the mapping of like your podcast journey specifically, since that is partially what we're here to talk yeah, about? No, today, yeah, no, I love
1: that. That's a, that's so great. I've never actually talked about that. I think that so in progress came out at the weirdest time because I was still working on sold in America, which is my investigative project Uh, and in progress was kind of a last minute thing. And I remember I was living in Boston at the time. It was temporary. We were moving from DC thinking we were going to go to LA, but we ended Mm. up in New York and I, and I recorded it in LA and I remember us realizing that this buffer zone of doing a lighter interview podcast was Mm -hmm. really important for my balance because I, Mm -hmm. I love doing the investigative work, but I can't, I, I'm not able to just pump out investigative work back to back to back, especially because I'm so, I really emotionally invest in the work that I do. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't want to
1: say for better or for worse. I, I think I figured out how to harmonize that by itself. Um, and I'm still learning that too. That's still an in-progress thing. <laughs> and I really thrive from asking people questions. Like I feel my cup is filled when I have those conversations and I already do them anyway.
2: Mm-hmm. I talk
1: to strangers all the time. I'm always having kind of conversations like this. So I thought that that would be a perfect way to pivot into that because I was already doing this, but I didn't have it done through like a podcast network or format and of course it was like a temper it was i only did that one season mm-hmm. and even that experience was interesting like just kind of figuring out you know how people do business when it comes to podcasting like this and what that actually looks like because even when i was doing the investigative project i was doing that like under a, a bigger i was doing that with stitcher so I was a lot bigger of a mm-hmm. corporation and um and scripts So it was like a lot more learning on the business side that on a personal, on a more personal thing. I mean, that was just the most in progress transitional period. And it's really great to reflect on that right now because I was, I didn't know where we were going to live and Mm -hmm. I didn't know what direction we were going to go in with the work because, uh, we were figuring out what I was going to do after sold in America. But at that point I had just been so, 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 so burnt out and didn't know it. Mm. Like I didn't know it until, uh, two ish months ago. And mm. and I like took a, my first vacation basically in a, the like real vacation ever actually. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've taken them with my family growing up, but not like <laughs> it's oh, different. Re- it's it, <laughs> yeah. of course it's different. I mean, it, is there really such thing as family vacations? No, it's not. It's still work. <laughs> um like we love them so and true. also it's not easy. Yeah. And and I had really uh ran on empty for a long time. And so doing things like that podcast and then I did like the Barney series and I did um a little, my live series and Um, Then the process, like I've done so many of those because like that is what helps fill me back up. And of course Mm. it's still work. It's, it's also work that really has always come so naturally to me. Like I, I do very light prep work when it comes to interviews, um, I do more now because I do, I I wanted to challenge myself and I call them guided storytelling sessions. And I try to see if I can guide the stories that are being told. And so I have to work with people beforehand a little bit, Mm -hmm. but even then it's like, I do that. And then I take all these notes and then I never look at them when I do the interview because it just like what I, I really believe like what is meant to be said is going to be said. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think that that was, was actually probably one of the most. Pivotal transitional moments of my entire life was while I was doing that, and I never reflected on it until now.
0: So, I have news. I am in love, and it's with August Period Products. And at the risk of TMI, it has been a long time since I have felt comfortable on my period. I have really sensitive skin and pads and tampons have consistently made me feel more irritated. And it wasn't until I found out about August that I learned that these period products that many of us have been using for a long time have these toxic plastics in them. Then the first time I used an August product, I immediately noticed a difference. The August ones are 100% organic cotton and they are so comfy and soft and gentle on my skin during an already not exactly relaxing part of the month. Plus, I learned that most period products take five to eight centuries to decompose. Like what? But August pads are fully biodegradable in six to twelve months. August is changing the narrative to establish that periods are powerful. After all, periods make human life possible. And I definitely believe and agree that it's about time we have an inclusive brand that is committed to more sustainable, absorbent, comfortable, and even impactful period care. They are affordable, you can purchase them on an as-needed basis, or you can sign up for their monthly or quarterly subscription service. Plus, every purchase with August, they donate products and 10% of their profits to their nonprofit partners to serve menstruators in need. And you can receive 10% off your purchase by entering my code PODBROADS10. Check out itsaugust.co today, or find them on social media at itsaugust, and start feeling more comfortable on your period. I know I finally do. So when you started Podcast Noor, like what was the, what was the like inception, uh, as you would call download moments for that? Because that's something I actually want to ask you about.
1: Oh my God. I've, that's so great that you picked up on that because I really, I like use it and don't even think anybody like doesn't get what I'm saying, but I'm like, hey, maybe <laughs> that is a little bit, maybe that is a little bit up there. I, so for Podcast Noor, it started out as the process. And the first season was the process, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I did that, that that idea came to me in the middle of the night, and I was so frustrated. I was um, signed to, or had just left a, a really big talent agency, and I had a terrible experience with them. And I was talking to different like friends and peers, and they were all going through the same things and the same problems, and I was just so upset because. I was like, why, why is this not a public conversation? Why, why am mm-hmm. I going through this alone and you're going through this alone? And it's like taking someone to actually have to say something in a, in a time of desperation, seeking guidance for us to have these conversations. That doesn't make sense to me. And so I wanted to do the process because I wanted to share like real stories about people's processes and and mm-hmm. how they get to where they're getting to. And what I found was like, as I was working on the process, it really just became these storytelling sessions. And so I was like, okay, I can have this intention of wanting to get to the process of someone, like, and it, and it wasn't supposed to be their like main process that they were known for. It was supposed yeah. to just be a process that's really important to them because I really think mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter. I don't care what I know you for. If there's something that is, is you hold dearer to your heart, that's what I care about because yeah. I want you. I don't want just the stuff that we all see. Mm-hmm. And I just chose to be more open. So I was like, you know mm-hmm. what? I don't need to try to completely control every, all of these conversations when, you know, the intention behind it is to get to those moments of people being like, oh, I never shared that before. It's to get to these moments of like intimacy where they feel comfortable enough sharing something yeah. that they're typically insecure about or whatever it is. And people had, um, since Sold in America, had started when you know when they would come up to me or if they knew recognized me when I was out, they would ask, "Are you Podcast Nor?" And Sold in America, <laughs> the investigative podcast, like the the image is like a tight shot of my face, so
0: yeah, it's
1: kind of hard to miss. And I got such a kick out of it because it was my favorite time when people would come up to me. It was a lot better than the Nor on Instagram because that was also what people would say. And I really loved it. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just, I want to be podcast noir And then I told my partner, who's my manager, I was like, this is that that's what this is going to be. And I felt more enthusiastic about it because a part of it was also like when I was doing these buffer interviews that were kind of my pick me ups, I found yeah. that I wasn't taking them as seriously as I would have an investigative project. And mm. it was because I think I felt like it was easy for me and that I like was skeptical if this counted as real journalism. Of course, I was still comparing it to, you know, traditional journalism standards, which are problematic in themselves. Mm-hmm. And I decided I just wanted to, I want to do things that are enthous- like I'm enthusiastic about and I really love and I want to do and that don't yeah. feel boring to me or like, not challenging and that's how we got to podcast nor and I really love what we've created with it so far because it's also just become this outlet for myself where um there are episodes that are just me there are episodes there's an episode where I read a poem that I um recently wrote there are episode. the, the last episode is on is with the researcher that I have on the upcoming investigative project we're doing on media representation and I Adam, my partner and manager, will say, like, your podcast feed is your social media feed. Use it the way mm-hmm. that you'd want to use social media, where you're, like, putting out stories and updates and things that people care about. And I do these things called editor's notes because um, mm-hmm. when I was working on the process, I kind of – in my head, I saw it as a magazine. I was like, I want to do cover stories. I want to do sub-stories. And
0: mm.
1: I'm still playing with the format of the podcast. Actually, that's something I want to work on this week. yeah. And I'm also releasing myself of the anxiety and the burden of like getting it perfect right away. Like I, it's it's kind of the same reason where why I really like haven't struggled with writer's block, quote unquote, in a very long time because it's because I choose to know and believe that it doesn't exist. It's like you're just Mm -hmm. afraid of putting something bad down on paper. We're just afraid of putting out bad articles or interviews or podcast apps. But nobody cares. Like no one's thinking about that. If you have something of value that needs to be said. Just share it. Like say it. Mm-hmm. We want to hear what you have to say. We're not. We're already thinking so much about. Our, we're already thinking so much about ourselves and our own insecurities, and we're so self-absorbed. No one is thinking about the things that you're thinking about about yourself. Trust me. Yeah. And if they are, it is literally only because they're completely projecting onto you because they don't want to deal with themselves
0: one hundred percent um I love that that's the inception of the name that's like the cutest story ever just like I love that so much and I had no idea um thank you yeah and um it's funny because you talk about this like trying not to self-edit to the point where it's a hindrance and Mm. I'm totally of that mind as well like There was this exercise that we would do with kids when I was teaching creative writing um, where we would have like people who were having like really intense writer's block, we would make them turn their font invisible, quote unquote. Really, you'd just make it white and put it on, you know, the white sheet on the Google Doc and have them write it out, but like not let them see what they're writing so that they're not. I'm going to do
1: that. (laughs) That is a great exercise. That is a great idea.
0: Uh, the only thing that I'll recommend is make sure you turn off spelling check because when you see red lines show up because you misspelled something, it can be distracting. Um, I I appreciate like watching you still kind of in the like the process with your podcast in these moments because I notice you don't over edit, um, and I think sometimes people over edit to try and sound too perfect on a podcast.
1: Well, I learned that in I learned that in radio because yeah. I when I worked in radio so. Well, one, I don't really over edit my podcast because I just don't have the time and resources right now (laughs) to like have someone who's being that meticulous about it. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to over edit it because I remember. So when you're in radio and you're recording like you're a commercial drop or um, you're leading into a song and you're and you're sharing a breaking story or an entertainment story and then you're going into it. People can hear your face almost so. So one of the Mm -hmm. things that my mentor and friend Sonny taught me who I interned for while I was at the radio station I'm very close to now was that you always smile when you're talking because people can hear your smile. Like they can, Mm -hmm. you can hear me Mm -hmm. right now. I'm smiling. And also I don't want you to sound like a robot. Like I want to hear like, so I wouldn't, and for audio people, you can like think about this when you're editing your audio, you can see your breaths and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't take out every single one because I'm not a robot. Like I have to take breaths and yeah. people like I want people to hear me the way that they would hear me in real life. Of course, you still clean stuff up, but it's also like being mindful that you want people to hear you.
0: Yes, definitely. My favorite, uh, my favorite piece that is like kept in when I hear you talking, especially on recent episodes is um, correcting yourself from saying, but, but, to to and, and? Cause that's something. Did you know it was coming? Were you? I feel like you. Were well, like, as soon I feel as you like... were
1: like, I like when you correct yourself. I was like, wait, what? What did I do? But yeah, I, I, I corrected myself earlier this morning when I said it. I, That has been—it's so funny because usually when I decide that I'm gonna um, like ch- change something, I'm gonna say or not say anymore. It doesn't take mm-hmm. me too long to figure that out. And now, see, I almost said but, but now, but I said and but it was there was still tension on my tongue yeah. and it's like uh i saying but has been so deeply ingrained in me since i was a kid mm-hmm. clearly that it has yeah. been so hard i mean i i have i have been able to pick it up a lot and i also what i do appreciate right now is that i am cons- when i do use it i will correct myself out loud because i want because people pick up on it and mm-hmm. that's really important like you just did and yes. because it makes you critically think about if saying but right now actually makes sense because when we say but you're negating the thing that you just said before or yes. you're saying it with the context of eh, like but but also like you're 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 creating this tension essentially in what you're saying and mm-hmm. I realize especially as women it's like wow we negate so much of what we say. Like we are we put ourselves down so much. And I am so sensitive to hearing other people put themselves down like it I can't be around it. And I also even with that attunement I still am realizing that I'm doing the same thing often because of my language. So I'm trying to yeah. be mindful of
0: that. I think with and as well because I'm also in unlearning moment with that word as well and sometimes I do better than other times but but and see I just did it um it's very uh it's been very useful in couples therapy because we're mm. learning how to because you know if you think about if you're like giving an apology or things like that and totally, totally I think a lot of us um there's like th- I think three different podcasts coming out that are dissecting apologies on like different scales both like public and kind of just on more intimate levels and That's great. yeah and it's talking it's definitely in part investigating the way that you know we as adults teach children to apologize but a lot of us don't actually know how to do it properly and totally. also do it in a way to hold space for like our own emotions at the same time yeah and Brene Brown yeah. has
1: a two-part thing conversation on apologies oh. that my partner and I both listened to and it was one of her earlier episodes of her um new podcast and they were really really Mm -hmm. good I would re I would re-listen to them because she really dissected that and I that was the first time I'd really thought about it with kids like how how do you expect them to learn to apologize when you don't know how to apologize
0: or definitely
1: you don't apologize in front of them
0: yeah right right and like to them and things like that for sure um it's also this piece of especially this last year I think that on a mass scale people have been struggling with the idea that multiple things that are contradictory can exist at the same time. And I think being really careful about language and using and instead of these words that kind of negate the previous true statement that has been said is a good practice and something we as a collective need to get better at for yeah, sure. Totally. <laughs> um, I also wanted to more officially talk about the download piece because I think you're the only you're the only podcaster I've ever heard use that word that doesn't have anything to do with the number of downloads our podcast is oh. receiving so I kind of so I, I love mean, wow, that Oh, I <laughs> didn't even
1: think about that that's so funny I, do, I actually have never thought about that yeah I don't really yeah because I actually like I love it. I don't ask my team how many downloads my episodes get because that's not why I'm doing it
0: yeah, that's smart though for mental health. Like too. it does nothing for
1: me. Yeah, it won't like you can't really do it, like unless you're gonna change something anyway, why does it matter?
0: Yeah, but there was a um and there was this moment on it was an episode I don't remember the name of it, but you were doing this like intro and then uh shared a recording between you and Adam. Um and it was pretty recent. You we're talking about this advice that you gave your, I believe your sister, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, oh, yeah. Saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the,
1: oh, my gosh, the bathtub episode. Yeah. Yes. That was, yes. Uh, he turned that on, like he turned on the voicemail in the bathtub, and it was about her quitting her job.
0: Yeah. And you said this line that I now have quoted because I love it so much, but you were speaking about this, the downloads, which I kind of took that to mean like really being open to your intuition instead Mm -hmm. of like the terrible statement of listen to your gut, which for anyone whose anxiety lives in their gut is a horrible thing to tell them.
1: Really great point. Really great (laughs) point.
0: Um, But you said let yourself receive you. And that was Mm. one of my favorite sentiments to it and I I wanted to bring it up while we were talking because I I think I really wanted to just have you say more of what that means to you and what it has meant to you when you've kind of figured out these download moments like is that something that was always a part of you or is that something that you had to like learn and cultivate in your life
1: whoa that's so cool like see I didn't even know people were actually listening to that that's great (laughs) (laughs) my like bathtub rant that I, love I said it. that and that was that in itself was a download like yeah I think I started calling it a download it, it was inspired by my friend Ruthie Lindsay who has inspired a lot of like I ask how is your heart all the time that's like the first thing that I asked someone when I talk to them mm-hmm. and I learned that because she asked me that one time when she genuinely like it just came out of her like she genuinely mm-hmm. wanted to know how I was and I felt it and I kept I collect. I collect a lot of things she teaches me and she knows this. And that was one of them because I realized like she's so connected to her intuition and to God and to the universe. And I, I know when I know when I am too, like I know when that happens and you have to be open to that happening. Like you have to choose openness. You have to let go of controlling situations and controlling your feelings and controlling the things around you. And just be open and literally watch yourself receive yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: you and and it comes in even in my hardest days, like I get downloads maybe five times a day at least. Like there yeah. and these are these are breakthroughs. And and it's so I haven't really shared it like this, but, and it's like, I haven't felt the need to give my therapist a call. Like I I've only done a handful of therapy sessions in my life, but I, and I found this woman recently who was really great. And I really connected with her as a Mm. therapist. And I I just haven't felt the need to give her a call because I've been able to therapize myself through these downloads Mm. and through these breakthroughs where I am just open to looking at, situations differently and being able to maneuver like what I said about the if it's hysteric it's historic so I'm like okay why do I feel this way where is this coming from this feels really heavy what like mm-hmm. what else am I carrying here i mean even just the story that i mentioned to you about the met earlier yeah i you know i've been carrying it since yesterday and i've been carrying it really heavily and really upset about it and i realized I was like, it's just a party, but it's, it wasn't my, what I was carrying wasn't about the party. It was about, it was like for my younger self. Like I was carrying that. I was carrying like the 10 plus years that I have been wanting, like I've been dreaming of of this for her and for all of us. And it's not even about, and even then it's still not about the event. It's about the concept of the fact that we are still not seen. We are still not heard. We are still not valued, but we are used all the time. Mm -hmm. And those things I can figure out on my own for the most part now. And that, that has literally come from knowing when you can really just connect to your source. And that comes from stillness. Like when I feel super anxious now, or if I am like trying to write out an email or type something out, but it just is scrambled in my head. It looks like TV static, just all over the place. I can't find the sentence that I'm trying to grab, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. I just, I've been, I've been like putting my hand, my arm up and breathing and then just like, ru- like rubbing my forehead, which has been really mm-hmm. helping. And that's like where your third eye is. So, mm-hmm. and it feels sore. Like it feels like I'm thinking too much. And then I just try to bring mm-hmm. it into my chest and my heart and I try to breathe through it. And I, like, even now, just doing that, like my, I've like immediately calmed down and mm-hmm. my heart just, like, feels more guided. And I, and I just have, I'm just so full of trust. So that's yeah. the thing is like, when you're carrying so much, and it's really heavy, and it's really hard. The safety net is trust. And you have to choose that. Trust isn't something that you have to, like that you just are born with, you have to actively choose that because there are so many ways that our trust has been broken in our lives. There's mm-hmm. so many reasons for us to not trust. And that's, that's more of a reason why you should. Mm-hmm. I remember I talked to my friend Vera Papisova about this at the beginning of COVID, and just how like how how do you not be skeptical of people and like how do you how are you so trusting? And I remember her saying when someone breaks your trust or hurts you, that has nothing to do with you. It's them showing you themselves. And Obviously, you can see that as a red flag, but you don't have to walk around feeling untrusting, which is a very heavy, hard thing to carry and feel. And I, mm-hmm. I have felt that for most of my life. She's like, that yeah. you don't have to carry that. Like you can just trust. And it's so interesting because now, the more I've trusted, the less my less my trust has been broken because people can feel and see that I really trust them.
0: Mm. It's still really hard, and. Mm-hmm
1: still a lot easier than what I was doing
0: yeah I've heard some iteration of that before from like a previous kind of family friend slash therapist type situation when I was in my early 20s but um the the piece about you know when people do something it ultimately has nothing to do with you yeah and it's been helpful and then I, I also am someone who really struggles with trust and it's one of those things where I'm like intellectually I get it but my body doesn't always get it
1: well that can also be that you don't feel safe in your body right like that's what I've found just like I got I recently got over this severe anxiety that I had of driving because of an accident that I was in Mm. and the entire time I realized like my anxiety wasn't because I didn't trust everybody on the road it was because I didn't trust myself Mm-hmm. and exactly. it took me having to come back into so even then it's not about people it's still about you
0: yeah exactly oh it's so helpful and frustrating at the same time <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> you got
1: you gotta have talks with yourself about that
0: stuff I know. Talk,
1: that's where the inner child work comes in
0: oh yeah for sure I have a uh, my therapist recently sent me I think it's called a trauma mapping thing, which I've like done plenty of times like unofficially, mm-hmm. but I'm excited to actually go through what she sent me and see what comes up and see if anything new gets yeah. discovered. So um, so kind of everything we've been talking about definitely brings me to your newest project. And I definitely want to give you space to talk about that. Um, one of those, those pieces that, we were just kind of unpacking is the, you know, the stories we've been told about ourselves, the ways that we need to rewrite our own narrative to not just like reclaim ourselves, but be able to heal ourselves. And I know that that's a piece of this. And so I just wanted to give you space to talk a little bit about what this project is, how, how it's been connected to your own healing process and anything else you'd like to share.
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah, so right now I'm working on an investigative podcast and documentary about how the misrepresentation of Muslims in American media has impacted American culture and identity. And the project was birthed from me realizing that the reason I had carried so much shame around who I was or who I am is because of my own industry, mm. the media industry, and because I began to internalize and believe the stories that were being told about me yeah. and my community. And I put a lot of blame on myself for that. I put a lot of blame on my community for that. I put a lot of blame on my family for that. And now I'm realizing that the system that was set in place for all, for us, for our communities, Work, like completely worked against us and that's why we are going through those struggles and so we don't need to carry all of that weight and burden and so now I'm committed to deconstructing that just the, the whole situation of of how the Muslim American narrative has been written and I want to show our communities and the rest of America that the stories that we've internalized about people that we do mm-hmm. not understand, including ourselves, are ones that are harming us and the com- and the entire community as a whole. And we should choose otherwise. We should choose to rewrite them. We should choose to build trust with people and get the stories from their mouths. Like and and now that I'm even saying all of this, I've been talking about this since I can remember. Like for for. Mm -hmm. Since I was really young. It was so weird. Yesterday, my Vanity Fair Mm -hmm. interview came out. That was really intense and honest. And uh, someone I went to high school with Mm -hmm. commented on it. And she is Jewish and queer. And I did not know. First of all, I didn't know there were any Jewish people in my high school growing up or in, in like the schools that I went to because it was so, it was like very white, very Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, so there were people who were also hiding Mm -hmm. parts of them like I was, because they were afraid to be who they were in that that space Mm -hmm. that felt unsafe. And it was so wild to like see her comment. And she literally said, I remember in ninth grade where somebody made a joke about like Muslims and you stood up and you said something about how much this harmed your like family and since 9-11 all these things and I literally felt like Mm. I was shaking because I have no recollection of doing that and in fact my memory tells me that I never spoke up about that Mm. ever like in that in that town in that space and to hear her say that she remembered me doing that is so wild because that's like I must have received a download that I don't remember. That was like yeah. just survival mode. And I wish I remembered it. Cause even as she was telling me that I was like, I can't, it doesn't ring a bell. And I literally said, can you, do you remember anything else? And she said, I, thankfully I only remember your reaction. I don't really remember what it was said. And I was just like, yeah, I guess it's pretty good, but I really wanted to like remember, like maybe it would have triggered something in me so that I could actually figure that out. But I'm like, and it also made me sad too, because that's why things feel heavy. Like, it's because I was carrying things I didn't realize mm. I was carrying. There's a, a very popular book on trauma called The Body Keeps the Score, which, you know, is pretty yeah. self-explanatory. And it's like your my body was carrying that and didn't even mm. know it. Like, how many more things happened to us that we don't even know about that are dictating how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about right. each other? And that's the yeah. work that we have to do.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think it also just, in my mind, made me kind of connect the dots of, you know, we've been talking, we as, I don't know, the people I see on my my Twitter feeds and social media and in my communities and stuff, but been talking more about, like, who's more often called resilient? Is it, like, that's a dangerous, can be a dangerous identifier to a certain extent because then people are expected to take on more and more and more and that moment that you just shared made me think about how at the same exact time someone can be looking at someone doing something that they perceive to be like powerful and confident and like resilient in a way whereas maybe the person who's doing it that's literally just a survival act in that moment and not something that they're registering in that way
1: well yeah because i think that a lot of people have had to just be resilient their entire lives and Mm -hmm. also that's how we like get to the point of burnout and depletion and have no more to give um but that's what we do to people who are choosing to lead
0: next week on the pod
2: broads I always love how Darren's, like, Mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about coming out stories with some of our guests, you know, sometimes the conversation will lead to, like, yeah, like, it wasn't a huge deal. And that's okay, too, right? Because why is my sexuality, like, needing to be this, like, huge moment, positive Mm -hmm. or negative or anywhere in between and so I framed it that way and maybe I should not frame it that way because I think it's in I think anyone can listen to our podcast but what makes us different is that it is hosted by two queer females and therefore our experience as Darren said kind of at the top of this interview is like those that is our experience and it is shaping how Mm -hmm. we watch like my favorite reality show Temptation Island I'm like this is crazy these dudes are trash like oh my god do you know what I mean? Or vice versa. I'm like, just throw some lesbians on there and this will be better.
0: That's Liz Cully, who oversees entertainment at Condé Nast in L.A., alongside her co-host Darren Karp, Andy Cohen's longtime assistant and the host of People's Reality Check. They join me next week. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the Pod Broads wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Let's get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. My first question is a little more podcast related. So, would you rather be able to interview the guest of your dreams or be interviewed by the podcaster host of your dreams?
1: Oh my god, interview the guest of my dreams for
0: sure. Who is that?
1: Um, The first person who came to mind is Oprah and that's Mm. just because like I think I would be able to do a really not that's just because it's because it's Oprah and also (laughs) I think I would be I would be able to do like a really amazing job at interviewing Mm -hmm. her and I think it would be a really great conversation because she's like also one of the best question askers there is and I don't think that I I mean of course I would feel like whoa and I also, I just think I would, I think I would be able to do such a great job. And then maybe also Kid Cuddy, who I just met last week for the first time. And I felt so overwhelmed and so excited. And I had to share some really important things with him. And um, I realized, like, I actually would love to hear him. I would love to talk to him more. So that's mm-hmm. somebody on my list as well.
0: Cool. I love it. I'm thinking about, uh the whole, like, a lot of the podcast community was, like, so excited when Oprah was interviewing um, Prince Harry and mm-hmm. Meghan and, and, Meghan. and stuff. Yeah. They were like they were like, this is the blueprint for a good interview. Like the, she's the master of follow-up questions. And I was like, I feel like that conversation between you two would just be like really wonderful follow-up questions. Oh my gosh. It would just be
1: a follow-up question (laughs) after
0: follow-up question. It'll happen for sure. Oh, I'm sure it will. I 100% believe it. And I will be listening. Um, Would you rather another, would you rather, would you rather do a one-on-one podcast recording or do a talk in a room full of people
1: Huh. I mean, I think that those are two totally different things for somebody like I actually I've like been touring and I've been giving talks in front of people for a very long time. So it would depend on the energy. It would depend on my energy level if I Mm. needed some like comfort one on one time, where I felt like I really wanted to learn. Then obviously I would do the interview and if I felt like I my cup was really filled and I had something to share, then I would want to talk to people. But that it, it would never be a would you rather for that scenario cuz I my my it would completely depend on where I was that day.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um all right. Um if podcast nor was a scent, what would it be? Oh my gosh. It would be um
1: palisanto. Palisanto. Or frankincense. Palisanto. Yes, it is a tree that is native to Peru, Ecuador, and other South American countries. It is like the scent. The first time I ever was ever given Palo Santo was in uh, Vegas, and I had just given a talk and uh, like was feeling under the weather, and also ha- I I had to be at this uh, sex worker's house. And it was like a group of sex workers who I was trying to build trust with before, um, doing an interview with them. Eventually I'd have Mm -hmm. to fly back out with my team. And because I wasn't feeling good, one of the people there lit Palo Santo and gave it to me. And it, um, that scent has been so healing to me and I use it Mm -hmm. a lot. I burn it a lot when I'm writing and it means sacred wood in Spanish.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Um, feels really perfect for it so you asked this question if you really knew me in this really wonderful kind of like spoken word exercise that you do with crowds that I got to experience at podcast movement and I loved it and totally teared up I'm sure a lot of people cried during it but I wonder um do you have like a go-to answer to that
1: well right now it's if you really knew me you'd know I love animation
0: (laughs) I love it that's perfect
1: I um, mean this whole conversation was a big if you really knew me but a lot of the stuff I shared here
0: was downloads that's why I was like by the time I got to that question I was like I do feel as if we've kind of covered those bases and that was specifically <laughs> gonna be like this last week what would your answer be because that it changes but so I was like let me see if there's this particular one that she may go to in those talks if she had to but no,
1: I would never do that. I like I will actually think about it and then share what it happens to be that day.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, because it it's it changes. It's funny. I'm thinking of this conversation that I had with um someone on season one of the Pod broads, uh, Rita Petmesai, She does this awesome podcast called Healing Out Loud, which is healing in the loud diaspora, and she when I asked that question, we were like asking, like, how are you or something like that? And and we were kind of laughing because we were like, honestly, I don't know. It's different every day. I answer this question, like, who am I today? Because who I am is always changing. And I always love that because it's so true. Mm -hmm. Well, my final question is, how can we support you, your work? Where can people find you all that good stuff? Well, thank you so much. You can
1: uh, support my work by subscribing to podcast Noor, being on the lookout for our upcoming investigative project. We are actually taking submissions from anybody who has ever been impacted or influenced by the misrepresentation of Muslims in American media. So you can go to noortagori.com slash representation. And uh, and honestly, just critically think about who you are and how you show up every day Mm -hmm. and choose to be open. That is my request.
0: Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue. The cover art was designed by Elsa Bermudez. And everything else is produced and edited by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Padreland. And you can find out more of what I do at www.poderland.com. Sign up for my newsletter for more recommendations of women-hosted podcasts, related news, and special updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode. Tag us in it, like that shit, give it a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's my goal. So let's fucking do it. Still in practice mode of like trying to ask quicker questions. Yeah, I never do that. That's why I call them
1: not so rapid, rapid fire questions because they're just, they will never be rapid. I won't do that.
0: Yeah.